Good morning, Sterling Baptist. It's good to be here with you this morning. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Joe. I'm one of the elders here at SBC, and it's always a privilege uh, to bring to you God's Word. Talking about God's Word, will you please open up your Bibles uh, to John chapter 8, verse 12. That's John chapter 8, verse 12. If you didn't bring your Bibles this week, I'd encourage you to do so um, next week. We have started a new series on the I Am Statements of Jesus. We find seven I Am Statements scattered throughout the book of John. And uh, we're going to be journeying and looking at each one. Last week, we got to look at the wonderful I Am Statement of I Am the Bread of Life. And this week, we're going to be looking at what I feel is apt for us this morning is I Am the Light of the World. And what we're going to find out is when we look at these statements about Jesus, who Jesus claims to be, how He reveals Himself to us, we're going to quickly realize that Jesus is not just some distant deity that we, uh, that he sits on his throne and from afar and we worship him from afar, but rather he's a close God who we can know, who we can enjoy, who we can delight in, who satisfies our souls. And as a result of that, that means for us there is no substitute for Jesus. The, Jesus is the only one who can save your soul. Jesus is the only one who can take away your sin. He is the only one who can give you the grace you need in order to live the life that you need for the glory of Christ and to, to live a life of purpose. And one of the ideas behind why we are looking at these I am statements is because what happens when we behold Jesus, when we look to who he is, when we uh, grasp who he is, there's a transforming effect that takes place in our hearts. We start to become more and more like Jesus. Our lives are transformed, not just by knowing what he has done, but knowing who he is, looking to him. We see this uh, wonderfully explained for us in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Paul says, and we with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord, beholding the glory of Jesus, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so as we fix our eyes on Jesus, how he has revealed himself, as we look at these I am statements and, and we get to wonder at his wonderful glory, what happens is by the power of the Spirit, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. And I think we as Christians can really feel the weight of one degree of glory. It's a slow trudge as we start to become like him. It's not an instant moment, but we become more and more like him. And so my hope is that throughout the series, we'll be just a little bit more like Jesus as a result of beholding him. Now, does that mean what Jesus does for us is not important? No, of course not. It's vital for us. But I do think when we get to grasp who he is more, what happens is we have a greater confidence in what he has done for us. We have a greater faith in what he has done for us because we get to know the person behind the action. What our souls desperately need is not a checklist of things that Jesus has done that we can tick off, but rather what our souls desperately need is Jesus. So we can grasp him and feast and delight and enjoy in him. And so that's what our hope is through this series for you. And last week we got to look at I am the bread of life. And, and one of the things that we spoke about was that the crowd, though they got to see Jesus, they got to uh, listen to Jesus. They were uh, even participants in a miracle as Jesus fed them with five loaves and two fish, is that they were so close to him, but yet they missed him. 
And this morning, my hope is, and we've sung songs of devotion already to Christ, all I have is yours, but that would truly be the case. As, as we go through the series, I don't want you to think, oh, this could be really good for my husband sitting next to me. Is he listening? Or for my friend that I brought, maybe they would be hearing this, or my child. But actually, I hope that the Holy Spirit would speak to you. Are you going to get more in wonder of this Jesus? Do you know him better? So I'm gonna, I wanna pray for us. Do you mind? I'm just gonna pray for us that God would open up our hearts. Well, you actually don't have a choice. I'm gonna pray. But I'm gonna pray that God would speak to you today and that you wouldn't be worried about anyone around you, but that your eyes about who Jesus is would be enlightened to the wonderful person of Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your son. He is glorious, he is a mighty, he is our savior. And we pray by the power of your spirit that you would speak to us this morning and that our hearts as individuals would be captivated by Jesus. I pray for those who don't know you yet in this room, that their eyes would be opened this morning to the wonder of who he is. I pray for those who are a bit dry and weary, that you like living water would come and refresh in their souls that you, as the light of the world that we will look at today, would burst forth into our hearts and give us a joy to live and worship you. We ask this, Lord, because you can only give it to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, amen, amen. amen. So John 8, verse 12, John 8, verse 12. Uh, it will be on the screen behind me for those of you who haven't brought your Bibles. John 8, verse 12, it says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Let's read that one more time. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. An incredible statement by Jesus. Uh, a, a massive, huge statement. Uh, it's, it's a verse that Martin Lloyd-Jones says encapsulates the whole entirety of the gospel. It's, it's all of it. And so there are a variety of different angles I could have gone at this, this morning. I, I mean, they're just so big. I had to just choose one or two. We'd be here all day. Martin Lloyd-Jones pre preaches five sermons just on this one verse, but it's an incredible statement made by Christ. And it's a statement that is not made in a bubble, though we are just looking at the one verse this morning. It's not made in a bubble, but it's made in a context. And the context is seen in, in chapter seven and nine of the gospel of John. What is happening in those three chapters is that there's a feast happening. It's called a festival happening called Feast of the Tabernacles, which was happened once a year for eight days. The people would party and celebrate, uh, remembering and thanking God for his provision. So particularly the provision that happened that year in the harvest, was the end of the harvest time, where they would have a celebration that God had been good to them. But also on top of that, they would also look back to the 40 years in the wilderness where God had provided them with food from heaven. We spoke about that last week. And so how they would remember it and celebrate it is they would put up tents, they would tent on a camp on top of their houses. Uh, and that's my kind of camping. You forget anything, you just go downstairs, 
starts to rain, you go in your warm bed. This is, that's the kind of camping they would do there. And there would be parties that would happen. There would be eating that would take place. There was light festivals as people would walk and march around the city with lights. They would walk around the whole city as well to remember how God had defeated Jericho, how God had provided for them. And, and the party at night would come and be around the, fe- uh, the temple. The temple would be the hub of the celebrations in the evening. And there was this particular court in the temple called the Court of Women. And it was a massive court. It had galleries all around. It, uh, and inside this court, they would set up four massive torches, massive lamps that would shine incredibly brightly. And devote, devout men of God would dance and sing the whole night with torches in their hand, celebrating and singing praises to God. And the others would be gathered in the, um, in the galleries singing as well as the Levitical orchestra was cut loose. And they would enjoy, and they would party into the night. And these lights were bright. They weren't just these, like a couple of lights that we've got on here. They were so bright that it is said to have put a glow over Jerusalem, that every court in Jerusalem was filled with light because of these torches. Now, these torches were symbolic. They represented God's presence in the wilderness over those 40 years where he provided for them. If you remember the story, God was with them in a pillar of cloud by day. And in the cloud was his presence, and the the cloud would move. And so as the cloud moved, the people of God would move. And it gave them shade from the hot desert sun, and uh, it was there as a a guide to them. But at night, what would happen is that pillar of cloud would turn into a pillar of fire, and it would give them light and warmth in the coolness of the desert evenings, and it would be a protection to them and a light to them. And so they would, this was a representation of God's very presence. Now, Jesus says the statement on the last day of the festival, day eight. And on the last day, what would happen is the priests would come and they would turn off the lights. The, the evening would go from bright to dark. And Jesus, in dramatic effect, as the galleries are filled and people have been praising God, the light of their world, the God who had led them by light, as the lights are turned out, Jesus stands up and says, I am the light. I am he who you have been worshiping. I am the one who provides for you. I am not only the light of Israel, but I am the light of the world. And whoever will follow me, will have the light of life and will no longer walk in darkness. Dramatic and powerful by Jesus as he proclaims that he is the very light of the entire world. And, and the light is so much to play with in Scripture, and we don't have time to look at it all. But what we do see is that Jesus is claiming to be God in this light, and he is claiming to be the light that has been spoken of and that the one who was to come. We see this in John, uh, 1 John 1 verse 5. It says, this is the message that you heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Psalm 27 verse 1a says, the, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Isaiah 60 verse 1, a, a Christmas uh, verse says, arise, shine for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. 
another Christmas verse in Isaiah 9 verses 2 and then verse 6 a little later. It says, the, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. To us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government shall be on his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is making a staggering claim. This carpenter from Galilee stands up in front of the learned and says, what you have been looking for, your hope, the light, is not found in anyone else other than in me. And he, he, in, in, in saying that he is the light of the world, we also see that the, the world is dark. Karen spoke about that this morning in what she shared. The world is dark. And there's no other light in which we can turn to. He has some verses that show this. It says, Colossians 1 verse 13 says, He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. We were once in the domain of darkness. If we're not in the kingdom of His Son, we are in the domain of darkness. Uh, uh, Ephesians 5 verse 8 says, For at one time you were darkness, and now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Or Ephesians 6 verses 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This world is dark. And our own experiences back these scriptures up, don't they? Our own lives are, are filled with brokenness and darkness. If we are emotionally and intellectually honest, we can all agree that there's something wrong with this world. And no matter how much we have tried, we have not been able to eradicate the darkness in our lives. But not only that, we see that history has shown us that when men and women have put their hand to eradicating darkness through a variety of different things, those things have failed. So there have been men in, that have hoped that through politics, through legislation and policies, that if we could just get the right structures in place, just put the right political party in place with the right systems, then what will happen is darkness will go and we will, through time, be able to legislate light there will be no more evil in the world. Well, that certainly hasn't worked out for us, has it? I don't think I have to convince South Africans that politicians aren't our hope. They just seem to be taking away our life, not giving us any. But we have put our trust not only into politics and, and that we've also tried to put it into sciences and technology. And while science and technology certainly has made life comfortable, it also has created new ways in which darkness has sprung its heads. So just this week, my grandfather was scammed out of 19,000 rand. Technology, great, but also evil. Education, we thought we, there used to be a, a thing that was, well, if we could just enlighten people, if they could just have knowledge, knowledge would solve the, bob, the barbarians, the barbaric people would become more civilized through, uh, through knowledge and through education. Well, the rise of the internet has showed us we get more dumb when we get more knowledge. 
the height of the internet is TikTok influencers dancing around and sprouting their unchecked uh, opinions, and our, teenage listen, our teenagers listen to it and grasp to every word. Things have failed us. Sociology, psychology, all these things have failed us. They have not brought any light. Earnest men and women have tried very hard to, to bring light, but in doing so have just realized that they have failed. And here Jesus stands up and says, your hope is not in systems, no hope is not in people, your hope is in me. It's not in man's effort, it's in me. I am the hope of the world. I will eradicate darkness. Why? Because he's God. He is the glorious, great I am. And he, there's a conversation that happens after the statement. They don't take it lightly. They start to argue with Jesus and say, you're lying. And he says, well, you don't know where I've come from. You are down here. I'm from God. My testimony is true because I have been sent by God. I am the son of God. I am. And so I will eradicate darkness because I am God. Men's efforts have failed. That's why there's no hope in Muhammad, there's no hope in Confucius, there's no hope in Buddha, because they are men, searching men, but limited men who have failed. But Jesus is not just a man, he is fully God. And as a result, he can come and he can bring lightness to this world. And he does, he, he breaks in. The whole Christmas story is of a, a dark world with the light of the world breaking in. He takes on human flesh. He lives the life that we could not live. And he will then bear our sin, our shame, our guilt upon him. The wrath of God that was deserved for us as dark people suddenly is poured on the light of the world. And he will uh, defeat death by dying and rising again. Uh, light of the world by darkness slain. But bursting forth that glorious day, he rose up again. And he rises the tomb is stone is rolled away and the light of the world bursts out and he comes as out as a victorious king over sin and death, having defeated it all. What we could not have defeated in our lifetime, suddenly he defeats it for us. And he is victorious, triumphant. But then, but then the argument is, why is there still suffering? Why is there darkness? And, and friends, the reason why this is still happening is because Jesus is patiently waiting for the day where he will eradicate it all. He's been patient to us. Don't, don't, don't think of Jesus' patience as a proof of his non-existence. His patience is grace to those who do not yet believe. So that you might have time to bow your knee and turn from darkness to light yourself. That you might know him, but the promise is the day will come when he will return. And he will come back as a triumphant king, but not as a baby in a manger, but as a judge of the living and the dead. As a king, as a warrior with a sword in his mouth, and he will push and eradicate darkness. He will defeat Satan and his cohorts. He will usher in a new kingdom of righteousness where righteousness will dwell in the new heavens and the earth. He will do these things. This is what Jesus is, and this is why he is hope of the world. No amount of conferences, no matter how amount of systems, no matter the person, they cannot do what Jesus will do. Our hope is found in him. And there's this wonderful verse that is found in John 1 verse 5. It's earlier in the gospel. It says this. It says, the light shines in darkness. We've been speaking about that. 
But it continues on to say, and the darkness has not overcome it. Friends, we are right in saying that the opposite of darkness is light or the opposite of light is darkness. But I think what often when we make this correct comparison is that we fall into the temptation or fall into the error of thinking that this is yin and yang. That these are two of equal forces. No, light has always been stronger than darkness. Take a dark room, turn on a small little light, it pushes it back. Go to your door tonight, open up your front door. What happens? Does the darkness rush in? No, the the light rushes out because light always pushes back darkness. I tell you this because regardless of how dark this world might be, it fails to compare to the strength of the great I am, the light of the world. He will push back darkness. This is not a matter of will he win or won't he? Who's going to be two equal forces, Jesus and Satan? No, he is king and he's one. And he will eradicate it all. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. He's the victorious, triumphant king. He is the light of the world. And he will come again. And he will not only restore the humanity, but he will restore all things. All things that have been tainted by sin. He will restore it all. He will regenerate the whole cosmos. Because he defeats, not just in our hearts, but he defeats sin totally fails. But what we've got to realize is the statement of Jesus is not just a general statement. He isn't just talking about a cosmic regeneration or or, or save in a general sense. But he goes, I am the light of the world, but then he goes, whoever follows me. He makes it personal. And friends, this is important for us that Jesus is also speaking to the individual. He's not just making a claim, but he's inviting the individual to come and follow him. Because we have said this morning and established what Jesus is going to do is he's going to eradicate evil. He's going to get rid of evil. But the problem is that scripture says that we, if we are not in Christ, we are dark ourselves. You see that in the Ephesians 5 verse 8 passage that we read a little earlier, it says, for at one time you were darkness. You were darkness. And if Jesus is going to come and get rid of darkness, that means he's going to come and he's going to get rid of us. If he's going to judge darkness, he will judge us. And so there's this necessity within our hearts to become light. We ourselves need to be light. And, and, and if we do not change, he will judge us as well. And so we will suffer the same fate as the darkness. We see this in, in Matthew 25. Jesus says, and cast the worthless servant into utter darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A, a place prepared, not for us initially, but for Satan and the demonic. Suddenly we get chucked into well, utter darkness. Can you imagine that? Now don't worry about how fire is going to work with that. That's no problem for God. But there'll be utter darkness not knowing where our next blow will come. But the hope is not found in yourself, pulling up your bootstraps to change into light. Friends, you've tried and you failed. You know that. You might look around this room and say, I don't think I'm dark, but you're comparing yourself to other dark people. But when you compare yourself to the light of the world, friends, Scripture says we all fall short of His glory. But the hope is this, that this light who came 
came to give us salvation. He came to die for your sin. He came to make you from darkness into light. He came to remove you from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus. You, have been, you can be moved, and it's not through your effort, but it's through faith that he is the light of the world, that he is your only hope. If you acknowledge that this morning, the promise of Scripture is you will be saved. He bore your sins, took your place. He's gone to, he will go and prepare a place for you. This is your hope this morning. The question is from Jesus, is will you follow him or will you turn from him? Whoever follows, it's an invitation. Will you do so today? Do you see clearly that Jesus is the son of world? Then follow him. Now, shifting a bit of gears this morning, we see here that the Christian, therefore, is someone who follows Christ. We become the, the, we become the light of, uh, within us. The light, there's light within us. And the Christian is to follow the light. But this kind of following that Jesus is talking about here is not a trudging behind, not like a, just a tagging along, kind of like we, myself when my wife goes shopping, kind of just reluctantly behind her, wondering where she's going to go next, hopefully to the till. It's not that kind of following. When he talks about whoever follow me here, he's talking about being captivated. He, he's talking about being taken by him, to, to cling on to him, to be a barnacle on the rock of ages, to just stick to him. That's what it's talking about here. To be a Christian isn't just to follow where he goes, but to have him and, and we are to hold on to him. But not only do we hold on to him and take him, but he gives himself to us. We get to have him. We see this in the text. Jesus says in the text, uh, here he says, um, whoever follows me, will, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So to follow Jesus is not just to cling on to him, but it's to, to get him. It's to have him, to have the light of life within us and to have the light of the world within us. That's why Ephesians 5 verse 8 says, you were once darkness and now you are light in the Lord. You become light because you have the light of the world. Now friends, I say all of that to say this. It has a profound effect on our lives to have the light of the world within us. At the top of the sermon, we talked about beholding Jesus, how that will transform us. Well, there's a transforming effect in us in many different ways, and we don't have time to look at all of them. I'm hoping we'll be able to get to two. And the first one is this, that he, he, he works within us. He makes us even more light. He eradicates the darkness within us. He he makes us light. You see, when the light of the world comes and dwells within you, he comes and starts to put a spotlight on the darkness that is in your heart. Christians, though we are called light of the world, we still struggle with darkness. We still struggle with sin. And, and this light of the world, by grace and by mercy, comes and shines a spotlight into our hearts. And the thing is that he goes into every nook and cranny, every corner, under every item of furniture, and he shines. And I say all of that because I want you to know that there is no place for you to run. God sees all your sin. He sees every aspect of your heart. There's no amount of camo for the hunters in the room that you can put on and go hide in any bush in the right position and he will still see you, all right? He will know where you can run. So that's what David says in Psalm 139, this wonderful psalm. He says, Lord, you, you know my thoughts before I even think them. You know the words before I even speak them. You know the motive behind every action for every attitude. You know it all. Like a surgeon, he can come and cut the good from the bad. 
He sees it all. And so David will say in Psalm 139, verses 11 and 12, he'll say, if I say, surely darkness shall cover me, and light and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. And so there's no place that we can run and hide ourselves. Now, you might be telling some lies to others. You might be living a double life. Others might have bought into it, but you do not get away from the eyes of God. And I'm talking to the Christian this morning. God sees every aspect of our sin, and so he, he, he is able to go and do it. Now, as Christians, we have believed in this lie that says that we should never struggle with anything. We believe that we should be far better than we actually are, and what this lie has done is that it has meant that we, as people, when we struggle with something, curl up into a little ball rather than taking the off-ramp of confession. Are you following me this morning? Then when we hide sin deeply within our hearts, instead of coming out and confessing that we're struggling with stuff, what do we do is we just go hide away and we curl up in a little ball. And what happens when we do that, and this is why it's so important, is the hooks of death, the, the roots of sin go deeper into our hearts. And it grasps us more as we decide not to confess and deal with what's in our heart, but rather keep it for ourselves. And the way this looks, let me give some examples. There, there might be a teen or a husband in this room who is struggling with pornography today, and, and you know it's bad, there's sin and there's shame, there's guilt behind it, but you also know that a confession of that creates a, a potential problem in your marriage, your kids or your mom and dad are gonna be disappointed though they have an open door policy, I hope you do parents, but though they have that, they, they feel, I just can't disappoint and so you feel the weightiness of it and so what you do is go, no, I will sort this out myself. I don't want, I, might repeat, I just, I, I'm gonna deal with this, I am gonna make this better and no matter how much you try, you're actually controlled by this thing and so you don't and you just keep on going back. And the same might be for those who might struggle, let's use an example of prescription pills. You're taking them and you, nobody knows that you are and you just seem to be addicted to this thing, but, but, what, but if you say, what will, what will your husband think? How will he respond? What's your reputation gonna happen to you? What's gonna happen to your marriage? What's, what are your small group gonna think? What are your non-Christian friends going, going to to think, and, and so in the consequences and the, the dangers of the cost, and instead of taking the off-ramp of confession, what we do is we curl back in, and the pangs and the, the, uh, the hooks of, of sin and destruction go deeper within our hearts, and we hold onto these things. And the reality of the matter is that we don't want to do this because of what we can lose. People will think of us differently. I could lose my reputation. and My marriage is at stake. All these variety of things. And, and that's true. So we shrink back into darkness. And what happens anyway is that you get caught out in it and you lose those things anyway. Listen to what King David has to say. He, he's a master at hiding things. He was a murderer and an adulterer and tried to hide it from people. And he writes the psalm after he gets outed. In Psalm 32, verses 1 and 5, I've preached on this before, but here it is. It says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Happy 
When you hear blessed this morning, hear happy, joy, gladness. There is a likeness to this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And here it is. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. And he goes and tells us what it was like beforehand, before he confessed, before he was outed. He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, my hand was he- your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up uh, as by the summer heat, Selah. And then what did he do? I acknowledged my sin to you, and I, and, and I did not count... Uh, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave me my, and uh, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And so David says, when we live this duplicious life, when we live this double uh, life, what happens is that there is this heaviness upon us. There's a heaviness. The hand of God pushes down onto it. It normally starts off with a little finger, and the more we ignore, the hand gets heavier and heavier, and heavier, and it's a burden to carry. You know this. If this is you, I'm not talking about little sins that you struggle with now and again. I'm talking about that habitual sin that you are not dealing with. You know it to be true if you're a Christian. It's weighty. It's, it consumes your thoughts, David says. It's, it's part of your night and day. You, you just know you need to deal with this, but you just don't want to because of the consequences. You see, friends, what happens is when we start to live Double lives, we have to split ourselves in two ways. Energies, emotions, thoughts. The, the one that we want to project to others and the one that God wants to forgive ultimately. And so what, what happens is we, we project in. But So what happens if we, there are three ways that need to happen. If God is shining this morning a spotlight onto something, there's three options for us. The first is that we can take the off-ramp of confession and we can, uh, we can experience this blessedness that David is speaking for. Now, I'm not saying it's not going to be costly. I can't promise that. I can't promise that it's, it's, it's not going to be painful. And, it's, and more likely, depending on what it is, it will be embarrassing. But the promise of the Scriptures is that God will spare you those hooks that want to grip into your hearts. And that heaviness of His hand will suddenly become a light holding and comfort. That's the promise of Scripture. The other option is that by His mercy, like He did for David, is He will oust you. As you try hide and hope that nobody will see, He will, by His mercy, out you and show you and show the world. And it's God's grace to do so that you might get to a place like David where you would confess it, and come to have the lightness of relationship with him, and the death and destruction of sin will not linger within your heart. And, and the last thing is, and it's probably the hardest and the most scary, is that God will just leave you to it. That you decide not to take the off-ramp of confession, but what you do is you decide, I'm going to stick out, and I'm going to do this. And God, after pushing his hand upon it over and over and over again, goes, okay, you can live in it. And the life we live is a life of sin rather than a life of purpose. A life of enjoying temporal things rather than enjoying the infinite, eternal God. A wasted life. And that is scary. And what will happen is you will see that you will start getting into more and more sin that you thought you would never go down. 
because you're holding on. If God is pushing on your heart today, my friend, it is his mercy upon you. Don't hold back, but take the off-ramp of confession. And the last thing I want to make on this point is this, is that Jesus has already ousted you. He already has. He did so on the cross. He, he has seen it all, and yet this is the, the scandalousness of the cross. This is how scandalous the cross is, that God would look and see that ugliness that you think no one will love you if you shown it. They would reject you, and you'd be embarrassed by it, and you're ashamed by it. Yet he saw it all and looked upon you with love. He saw it all and loved you. How, how, what mercy is that? He hasn't just seen your, your ideal image that you are projecting to the world. No, he's seen the ugliness and the muck of your heart, and yet he died for you anyway. He loves you that much. And he's pushing upon this thing in your heart is because he loves you. Not because he wants to be mean, but because he knows what's best for you. And so the Holy Spirit does his work. This is, this is stunning mercy that is shown to us. But the last thing is this, and this is my last point. I wasn't going to get to it, but, I, I, but when Karen got up and shared, I, I will share it with you anyway. Is that those of us who have received such stunning mercy, miraculously God calls us the light of the world. Somehow he comes along and says, you are the light of the world. And now hear me here, we're not the source of the light. No, there's only one light, and that is Jesus. You are like the moon that reflects the sun. That's all you're doing. You are like the solar light that receives the energy from the sun and therefore shines brightly. You're not the source of the energy. Jesus is. But somehow, in God's grace and mercy, he takes us broken people who hide our ugliness, and he says to us, you are the light of the world. And, and we see this famously spoken about in, in Matthew uh, 5, verses 14 and 16. It says, you are the light of a world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do a people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. So Jesus is saying, don't hide. Don't hide your light. Let it shine. Let it shine, Christian. And it gives light to, uh, to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And so as the Holy Spirit starts to shine his light into the nooks and crannies of our hearts, and we take the off-ramps of confession, and we are transformed from one degree of glory painstakingly, difficultly, into a better image of Jesus, our light becomes brighter. It's, it seems in this text in Matthew that it's not necessarily a proclamation, we will get to that, but our actions that become a light to the world. And so through our good works, we become an image of what God has done within us. I can't believe God would do such a work in Lawrence. I knew Lawrence 20 years ago, and, and look at him now. Why is he so different? Why? Because of the light of the world that shines in his heart. His, his actions become a demonstration of the grace and mercy within uh, in his heart. But it can't simply be action. It can't simply be action. It has to be a proclamation. Because the reality is you can help the old lady across the street, but the person driving by, if they don't hear about Jesus, doesn't know why you did it. It has to be the reason for my life being changed is a proclaiming of Jesus. Because 
It is through hearing the word of God that faith is, uh, that is, that is, that is uh, put in somebody's heart. It's through hearing, not through seeing, through hearing. And so we are to proclaim. So in, in 2 Corinthians um, five verses, uh, 4 verses 5 and 6, it says, For we proclaim, not ourselves. So if we just stick to good works, we are saying, look at me. Now change. No. No, we, that will be proclaiming ourselves. We have to use words. So, so Paul says here, for we do not proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone into the hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Or, or 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, but you are the chosen race. A, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions. And I want to fill in there, you are the light of the world. That you may proclaim, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. My friends, while there is this element of Jesus calling us to follow him, while our faith is personal, it is certainly not private. Jesus is not just the light of Joe. He is the light of the world. And so we need to be people who proclaim the wonders of this glorious light that we have received. For he is the only hope. He is your only hope, and you have found it. You have found it, and the call of the gospel is now that you have the light within you, Go and proclaim it to the world, for it is their only hope that they have. Let us bow our heads. What has the Lord been saying to you this morning? Is there a understanding that Jesus is the light of the world for the first time. My friend, if that is you, repent of your sins. Ask Jesus to forgive you. And the promise is you will be made, taken from the dominion of darkness to the dominion of light. Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit has been shining something on your heart today. And you know it, you can feel it as much as you try to shove it away and ignore it. He's got a spotlight on a particular thing in your life that he wants you to take, the off-road of confession. Confess it to him. Acknowledge that you have a, um, you have a, 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 a certain thing that you need. Certain thing that you are going to do. What is that thing? How have you done it? How have, you, how have you done it? What are you going to do about it? Determine it. Set it within your heart. And then, Lord, we, we want to acknowledge this morning as well that we realize that there is still darkness within us. And you have made us light, but we've got a, a work to do. But, but I, I pray, Lord, that there would be that lightness of a relationship with you, a lightness of a joy with you. 
David says in Psalm 139, blessed is he. May we all be able to proclaim with a certain, blessed are we because we have had our sins forgiven. And then, Lord, I pray by the power of the Spirit, you would help us to be a people who shine brightly this gospel and that we would not only just be a people who do good works but proclaim it, but not only be a people who proclaim it, but live it out and enjoy you and delight in you for the glory of Christ, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I started this series, I said to Matt, it's going to be a nice light series. It's a little bit heavier than I anticipated, but when we look at the weightiness of things of Christ, sometimes he shows things in our hearts that we don't necessarily want him to deal with. If you have something you want to speak about today, the Lord's been putting his finger on, and you want to come and share it with the elders up in front, we'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, have a fantastic Sunday. Sending your hearts to be a light of the world today for the glory of Jesus, we pray. Go enjoy some coffee.